So I've been thinking about um, for really since this thing started, how quick things change. Have you guys thought about that? How rapidly um, everything just kept changing, both in terms of this spread of this uh, virus, but also in terms of society. Um, and some of those changes are still going on. And so, um, what a comfort it is to know this, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That, that despite all the reality of, of shifting things and changing times, Jesus Christ remains unchanged. And I've, I've been wanting to know, and maybe you can um, share with me some as we go forward, but what's your, uh, what's your, what's your life been like with this, with this season? What's it look like for you? Initial excitement. I had some friends who were excited. Some pastor friends are like, hey, this is going to shake things up. This is going to stir things. This is going to change things. What, what's that look like for you? Sadness for the loss of what was normal before. Sadness for the way of life that you thought you were going to be living right now but aren't. Maybe some of you have dealt with depression, loneliness, maybe in ways that you haven't before. Marriages. It's been a tough season. Some marriages have flourished and grown and some have, this season has revealed cracks and crevices that you didn't even know were there. This whole social distancing thing, what's that been like? Introverts, like one week in, are like, we're living our best life now. And then by three weeks, introverts were calling me saying, hey, can we, uh, can we meet up maybe and at least talk? Like, I think it's revealed some things uh, about us, about who we are. Um, it's been a season of taking walks. All of Highland has been walking for two months. I don't know about your neighborhood, but mine has been out and on the go. Um, some people feel really productive during this time, and others feel utterly unproductive. And, and I guess I want to use it as an opportunity to, to say in all those ways that these layers have been peeled back, let the Lord do His work there. Um, see what is being exposed in you. Ask the Lord what He's doing. And where does the Lord Jesus, where does His Gospel fit into uh, your experience these last couple of months? In the swirl of all that is changing, um, I, I just want us to know and rely on that, that reality that, that despite all the changes, Jesus Christ and His Gospel has not changed. This has revealed frailty in all of us. When, when the Tower of Siloam fell, 
that toppled. And people came to Jesus and they were like, hey, tell us what those guys did wrong. Right? Tell us how they were complicit in their death. Do you know what Jesus said? To the people asking, He said, repent, because that could be you. Right? That's, that's Jesus' word for us in a pandemic. He says, this is a teacher. This has taken us to school. And let, let this school reveal this, that you are just as fallen and me, we're just as fallen and just as broken as those guys. We deserve death. Repent. Fly to Jesus to find life and hope. The fact that we have been made alive, this is all out of Ephesians, the fact that we've been made alive in Jesus remains unchanged. The grace of God in Jesus Christ remains unchanged. The rich mercy of God in reclaiming sinners like you and me remains utterly unchanged. The vast love of Jesus Christ for sinners remains unchanged. The immeasurable riches of His kindness to us in Christ remains unchanged. The grace that God gives through faith, saving sinners, bringing us from death to life, remains utterly unchanged today. In this noisy time where everybody's registering opinions and those opinions change by the hour, let's, let's let the Gospel be the anchor for our thoughts. Let's remember that while all those things change, that the Gospel remains utterly unchanged. So now we'll get into our text. Um, so you get like two sermons today. Um, last week we started with the Holy Spirit. Um, and I wanted to continue with that at least one more week and maybe uh, one more. We'll see, um, we'll see for next week. Uh, but our text today is Acts chapter 2. And the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 to 13, and because we can, and we're all together, why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Acts 2, beginning in verse 1 When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not, all these, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, and re residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Ferga and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Your word, would you be our teacher? Would your spirit continue the work uh, done here, uh, even with us today? And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we heard Paul's admonishment, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled by the Spirit. Um, and the issue there is one of control. And so when we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, Presbyterians get accused all the time. We don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? We don't, we don't meet in parking lots either. Um, here we are. Uh, God tends to, to do with us what He wants to do with us. And in His Word, we've encountered the Holy Spirit a good bit in Ephesians. Just wanted to spend a little more time expanding on the ministry of the Spirit in the life of the church. I think this is incredibly, again, just like Ephesians, incredibly appropriate for us. Um, so here, here in uh, Pentecost... Um, it's, it's a feast day for Israel. They celebrate uh, the first fruits. Um, it's, a, it's a big, huge feast. And this is, the, this is the day that in God's providence, He chose to send the Holy Spirit in power to the church to gather in the first fruits of His people. All these feasts match who we are as the people of God. So, Pentecost is a transition period. Redemption had been accomplished. Redemption had been accomplished in Jesus. The Redeemer had come, lived a perfect life, died, was, was crucified in our place, was laid in a tomb and conquered death on the third day. Redemption accomplished. Now comes the Holy Spirit, and here's what we have. Redemption applied. Redemption applied. The Spirit of God applies redemption to believers. That's exactly what's going on in this text. This is transitional in nature. This is transitional in who we are as the people of God. Um, we go from uh, our Redeemer coming, our Redeemer leaves, right? He's taken up, and, and then we have this event. This is a one-time event. Can we remake the incarnation? Is Jesus going to come and be born again? No, He's not. Can we redo uh, the, the cross no, we can't redo that. What about the resurrection? He's going to come and, and be in a tomb again and, and rise again? No, nothing like that. You, you can't re redo those events just, and you can't redo Pentecost. But I think Pentecost has lessons about the way the Holy Spirit works that we need to know. First, uh, three events at Pentecost and then three results. 
the first event that we see here is wind. Wind. The text says uh, they were all gathered in one place, kind of like this. Um, and then a rushing wind comes in. Uh, and it said it comes from heaven. It's, it's a mighty wind. It's a rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It happened quickly. It, it rushed upon them. And, and uh, wind and its association with who God is has had this huge role in all of Scripture. We see it in creation. You have the water in creation. And then what's the Spirit doing? You remember? Hovering. The Spirit is hovering over the face of the deep. The image there is one of power. The same thing is going on here. In redemption, Israel's in bondage in Egypt. Then they have their backs against the Red Sea. And then they're crying out to God. And then what happens? wind. The angel of the Lord goes around and protects them and a strong wind blows and what does the wind do? Splits the sea in two. Becomes the agent by which they walk across on dry land. In si at Sinai, the people of God meet with God and there, there's a vast storm in that mountain. In 1 Kings 19, the Lord appears to Elijah out of the storm. At the end of Job, God meets with Job in a whirlwind. He meets with him in a uh, hurricane. In Ezekiel 37, the breath of God uh, is used to bring dead bones to life. So we see wind and it's utterly loaded. God is recreating. God is giving life. So the first lesson we have, that what, what does the Spirit of God do? He gives life. Derek Thomas says, Something of the end, the new order of existence, has thus broken through into this present space-time continuum. The breath of God has been felt. The Spirit gives life. That, that should be a huge encouragement to us because we, we try so hard to give ourselves life we try so hard to give ourselves meaning. We try so hard even to save others that we know they're in a bad situation. And here we have the Spirit of God coming, giving life. The second image that we have is fire. In addition to the sound of a violent wind, we're told that there's visible fire. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Like wind, fire is not a new image in Scripture. We see fire throughout the Scriptures. And, and what is it typically functioning as? What does fire do in Scripture? I can read your lips. Somebody say it. Purification. Yeah, it's an instrument of judgment. It's an, it's an instrument to, to refine. Fire is not, a, is not a great thing. Fire means... I'm about to burn you down. The entire mountain of God was this huge kiln and it was flaming fire with smoke going up. Fire was always used for judgment and refinement. And yet here, 
let me ask you, what, what is the fire doing in Acts 2? It's dividing. It's not just one huge pillar of fire like Israel dealt with in the going through the desert. It wasn't just this agent of protection that was away from them. What does the fire do? It says it splits into tongues and then comes where? It comes on them. Fire comes on to the people. Let me ask you, does it immediately say they begin shouting and screaming and crying because flames, they're being baptized in fire? No, they are not consumed. Do you notice that? Fire comes upon them and they are not consumed. The, the fire of God's presence now does not mean judgment. The, pure, the purity that you and I need, that the church needs, has already been given to us in Jesus. Rather than consuming the believers, the fire is a blessing. They have been purified. This fire comes upon them as tongues, and then it, it gives this that gives a hint to where it's going because there's a result of that, and it's the third image that we have. When the Spirit comes, we uh, see that they were all filled with the Spirit, and to begin, they began to speak to one another in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's really significant. John would not have known how to speak Coptic. He would not have known that language. Matthew would not have spoken uh, the native language of Libya. Thomas didn't naturally know how to communicate with the Elamites. And yet Jerusalem was swollen with all these people from all over the world and they all started hearing in their own language. The Holy Spirit was upon them and their tongues were transformed. They began to, to speak of the goodness of God. So what, what does any of this have to do with the church today? One, the, the breath of God. Grace Presbyterian Church. What makes us alive and unique as people is actually nothing to do with us. It's the Spirit of God through Christ that transforms us. It's not that we're so good. It's not that we have it all together. What makes us great and unique as the people of God is the breath of God, the Spirit of God that transforms us. Two, fire, the Spirit of God that should have consumed us now is purifying us. The Spirit of God is purifying us. The Spirit reveals our sin. Look, it happened in this dramatic way at Pentecost, and it's still happening today. You don't see tongues of flame, but the Spirit of God is revealing our sin. The Spirit of God is beckoning us again and again to believe the Gospel and fly to Jesus Christ. And lastly, language. The Gospel has come to us by words. The Gospel has come to us in language. And guess how the Gospel is going to go to our neighbors? Guess how it's going to go to the lost in Shreveport? 
in Bossier, in our workplace, it's going to be in language. It's going to be as the gospel is spoken. And then three results. So uh, we have the three events or effects, and here are the results. One, when the Spirit of God comes, uh, mighty works of God are being proclaimed. Uh, verses 5 through 13 are all about that. Verse 11 says, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. When the Spirit of God is present, God is talked about. When the Spirit of God is present, God is glorified. When the Spirit of God is present, Jesus Christ is made much of. You're like, hey, sometimes it's true. Yeah, the Presbyterians don't talk a lot about the Spirit. Do we talk a lot about Jesus? Do we talk a lot about redemption? Do we talk, talk a lot about the love of God and that being expressed in the Gospel? Wherever those things are done, the Spirit of God is present. The Spirit of God comes upon them and it utterly transforms the nature of conversation. What about us? Does the Spirit of God, does the Gospel at work in us transform the things that we think about and talk about? That's a result of the Spirit of God coming. It's still a result to this day. Two, when the Spirit of God comes, understanding, astonishment, and rejection are always present. Understanding, astonishment, and uh, rejection. Look at verse 6. They were bewildered. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed. And verse 13, uh, they're just drunk. <laughs> They've just been drinking too much. All of these things, when this, the Spirit of God comes in power and does what He does, it, it, it elicits a response. Do you remember when God turned the light on for you? And you understood the gospel as not something over there, not something that, that is for someone else, or that your parents believed, or that people in your family believed, but the light came on and you were utterly amazed at the grace of God for you? The Holy Spirit does that. It's exactly what's going on here. Some people were amazed. Some people were utterly perplexed. Have you ever had that conversation with, with a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker about the gospel, and they just look at you like you've got two heads? Utterly perplexed. Utterly bewildered. We see that going on here. When the Spirit of God is present, we should expect sometimes that people would be utterly astonished. They would see their sin, they would see the love of God, and they would be converted. We should also expect that some people would be utterly bewildered in their response to who God is. And we should also, we should also uh, expect some people to think we're crazy. You're crazy utterly dismissive of this hope that we have. Would that be the first time that's ever happened? No, here at Pentecost, which again is a one-time event. We're not going to redo Pentecost here, but the Spirit is still doing these very things, right? We, we shouldn't expect everybody's going to get it. Some people are just going to think you're crazy, but this is what the church does. We proclaim the mighty works of God and they go out. Some people are amazed, some people are bewildered, and some people are just going to think we're crazy. 
And the last thing that we see that happens, it's really beautiful. Unity, radical unity, comes out of incredible diversity. When the Spirit of God is present, unity like none other is available. There's a huge mix of languages, cultures, and people groups assembled here. And this huge group comes together around one Spirit, one God, one Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, it's amazing. Jews, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Ferga, Pamphylia, Egypt, Libya, Rome, Crete. It's, un, it's unreal. All together all unified because of one spirit. Listen, if, if, we as a, if we as a church family are ever to exist um, in different socioeconomic realms, maybe different cultural backgrounds, different racial and ethnic backgrounds all together in one body, it's because of the spirit. Look, if we, if we have a desire to express that picture to our community, those are good desires, desires given to us by the Spirit of God. The Spirit provides and gives unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who's over all, in all, and through all. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. May God be pleased to control us by His Spirit so that His gospel goes out, so that He continues to refine us, the fire that should consume us, rather than consuming us to making us more like Jesus. And may God give us a radical and beautiful unity. All these things are a work of God's Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this, Your Word. Lord, would You help us as we consider uh, the reality of these things. Um, may Your Spirit do these things in us in a way that we can never, by our own effort. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.